0: Oh, and welcome to Halfwit History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a show where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And
1: sometimes not so long ago.
0: Yeah. Do we got any updates?
1: Uh, I got nothing.
0: I, I guess we'll just <laughs> keep plugging to the beginning for a little bit. Just we have a new website, halfwitpodcast.com. You can see Ooh. all of our stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a merch button where you can get some Half-Wit History stuff. I think <laughs> we only have one okay. thing for Half-Wit History up right now, but we'll get more.
1: It's a bunch of phone cases i think are the options the phone cases are like the sticker
0: yeah there's well there's um there's two different halfwood history designs there's one yes, that's a yes, transparency yes. of just the center logo and yeah. then there's one that is the full logo and you yeah. can put it on many different products yeah yeah anyways topic tie woo this week's topic is the release of the atari 2600 on september 11th of 1977 Originally known as the Atari Video Computer System, or Atari VCS, the Atari 2600 was a revolutionary home video game console developed and produced by Atari Incorporated. Hmm. It popularized the use of microprocessor-based hardware and of games stored on swappable ROM cartridges, which, fun fact, was a format first used with the Fairchild Channel F in 1976, just a year earlier. Oh, so it
1: was pretty new then, right?
0: Yeah, it was very new technology. Which is impressive for like the first home video game system because before it was just arcade cabinets.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I like because in Stranger Things they play all the arcade cabinets, and I don't think I've seen them playing like the um, at home stuff. But yeah, that's my reference for the second. Yeah, seriously.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, the 2600 was bundled with two joystick controllers and conjoined pair of paddle controllers and a game cartridge, initially Combat, which was based on two earlier black and white coin-operated arcade video games, Tank and Jet Fighter. Hmm. And then later came (laughs) Pac-Man. So, as some of our listeners may know, Atari has been successful at creating arcade games, starting with Pong, in 1972. Oh, that's where
1: Pong comes from. Yes.
0: (laughs) Which was the first successful coin-operated video game. Back in 1975, Atari also released a Pong home console, but quickly realized the limitation of custom logic programming burned into the circuit board, permanently confining the whole console to just a singular game.
1: Yeah, that's definitely like... Very outdated now. (laughs) Yeah,
0: big big waste of uh, electronic components. And of course, increasing competition increased the risk, as Atari had found with past arcade games and again with dedicated home consoles, specifically when units only had about a three month shelf life until they became outdated by the competition. Mm. Because, I mean, technology was just starting to hit a boom then. Yeah, and then yeah. you know, by the time we got to the late '80s, early '90s, there was a, little, a lot of tech gain, and then late '90s, it was just explosion of technology uh, yeah. improvements, especially in like mi- microprocessors, like they they yeah. use for video game consoles,
1: and like specifically at home gaming.
0: Yeah, and uh, also um, like memory technology, yeah. which was huge. Yeah. So th- they're 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 just in a huge uh, explosion of different technological advancements that all impact their their business. Yeah. So additionally, the development of a cons- of a console cost at least $100,000 or about $500,000 in today's money.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Just
0: making one was absurd. <laughs> yep. Plus, this also includes time to complete the unit. It needs to be figured in as well. So development costs and limited lifespan drove CEO uh-huh. Nolan Bushnell to seek a programmable home system, which wouldn't you know it, the release of the first inexpensive microprocessors from MOS Technologies in the late 1975s made this a reality. <laughs> in September of 1975, MOS Technology debuted the 6502 microprocessor for $25 hey! at the Westcon <laughs> Trade Show in San Francisco. That is significant for, you know, again, Huge boom in technology with forever decreasing costs of technology because it was being outplaced so so quickly.
1: Yeah, that's insanity, though. <laughs> yeah.
0: So an Atari subsidiary, Cyan Engineering, sent Steve Mayer and Ron Milner, who would both play a substantial role in the development of the Atari 2600, to the show, where they met the leader of the team that created the chip, Chuck Peddle, and proposed using the 6502 in the game console for $12 a chip.
1: Oh, all right. That's reasonable, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, they got it for like half off for for uh, big bulk buys. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, good job.
0: The first prototype for the 2600 was codenamed as Stella by Cyan Engineering, named after the bicycle brand one of the developers had. Well, that's kind of random. Yeah, very random, <laughs> yeah. And uh, featured a breadboard level design of the graphics interface to build on. A second prototype was completed in March of 1976 with the help of Jay Miner, who created the chip called the Television Interface Adapter, or TIA, to send the graphics and audio to a television.
1: Oh, sneaky, sneaky.
0: Despite the success Atari was having creating the 2600, it was still recovering from its 1974 financial woes and needed additional capital to fully enter the home console market. Atari was introduced to Warner Communications, which saw the potential for the growing video game industry to help offset declining profits from its film and music divisions
1: mm. <laughs> whoops <laughs>
0: yeah by October of nineteen seventy six Warner and Atari agreed to the purchase of Atari for twenty eight million dollars. Wow, that is wild that is so Especially much for money back then yeah, like
1: that's insane,
0: yeah, so Warner provided approximately another 120 million which would allow Stella to be fast tracked. So Ooh. here is 28 million to do your normal thing. We're also going to push in 120 more to make sure that this gets done timely.
1: Yeah. I mean, clearly they could see the benefit of having that product. Yeah. So So by
0: 1977, development had advanced enough to brand it the Atari Video Computer System VCS and start developing games.
1: Woohoo! My favorite part.
0: <laughs> yes. With renewed funding and resources, Atari launched the Atari VCS or Atari 2600 on September 11th of 1977 Woo-hoo. for $199 or converted to today's money, almost $900. Ouch. Yeah. So it it's it's kind of puts things into pers- perspective when people complain about, you know, new systems coming out. Like obviously price point is a big part of like going to market. Right and the lower price console tends to end up win out in the different, you know, as competition goes. Yeah. But it really is substantial to produce these things. Oh, I'm sure. So it's it, it's funny to see people balking at how technologically advanced, like the Xbox in, uh, the new Xbox in the uh, PlayStation 5, they're balking at the cost of the, the five to 600 that yeah. it is. And it's like, well... It, it could
1: have been 900. It could so. have been 900
0: <laughs> and you could be playing Pong on it. <laughs> Oh, God. Be grateful. (laughs) (laughs) So this model came out with two joysticks and the combat cartridge with eight additional games available separately. Most of the launch games were based on arcade games developed by Atari or its subsidiary Key Games. For example, combat was based on Key's tank, like we said before, and Atari's jet fighter. Atari sold between 350,000 and 400,000 Atari VCS units during 1977. That's a lot for a single year. Wow. Especially during that time where adoption was uh, fairly new, Um, which apparently wasn't as much as they were expecting, which is crazy (laughs) because I'm surprised by those numbers. And attributed the lower sales numbers to the delay in shipping the units and customers' unfamiliarity with a swappable cartridge console that is not dedicated to a single game. All of that is kind of wild to me.
1: Why would they think it was going to be so high when this is like such a new concept?
0: And like and it, also they're they're saying like, oh, you know, they're attributing it to customers not knowing that they can have multiple games on a system. And it's like, but wouldn't that be like a huge selling point? Did not you do some bad marketing if they're not if they don't understand how what kind of benefit that brings?
1: Or like maybe maybe it's one of those things where like it's a new it's a new concept. So people are a little wary of it. And like. I mean, I could see people being like, "Well, if I take it out, am I going to lose everything and like not being completely comfortable with the idea of like losing all of your like, but, progress?" But games
0: back then didn't have progress saving. Uh, oh, at all?
1: Uh, wait, what? Mm.
0: Games back then were total. Uh, you turned it off and your game went away. You you've tried to beat games in one sitting. That's why there's world records for old retro games and how like high scores and all that stuff, because you have to do it in a sitting. I broke. Yeah. <laughs> I broke.
1: I'm broken i guess i guess i thought because like old arcade games right would like recognize the high score or whatever i guess i assumed it meant it like so saved a, others. a lot of them would
0: so a lot of them would save like high scores like that's okay, about as okay. all their so their internal memory cards would, could like, do save,
1: though is like the high score
0: but anyways, things started to look up in 1979 when Atari sold more than 1 million consoles over the holiday season. So it was a delayed two years, but they got kind of what they wanted at that point.
1: All right. All right. The
0: system's first hit game was the home conversion of Taito's arcade game Space Invaders in 1980, which became massively successful and led to the sale of more than 2 million more console units.
1: Oh, wow. This Okay.
0: Yep, this led to the founding of Activision in 1979 and other third-party game developers, and to competition from other home console manufacturers, Mattel and Coleco.
1: I don't think I ever realized Mattel did like home console games.
0: I mean, Mattel uh, did like the little handhelds, the the little like um, what was it like? If you you had like a traveling battleship type thing. Oh. It was like before Game Boys. It was like here's a little hand system that only plays one game or two games, oh. kind of a thing, and they're pre-installed.
1: Okay, I well, I mean, I wasn't alive in the '80s, so
0: <laughs> I had a bunch of those. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of along the same lines as like a Tamagotchi.
1: I mean, we didn't, I we didn't have any video games until I think I was in high school, and my brother got like the Game Boy Color.
0: I mean, there were even like, that. like that little devices that were like checkers like it was like a checkers or a solitaire game on a little handheld. I don't and think I think that. that's I think that's what Mattel produced was all of those.
1: I think I remember seeing those and I think I remember wanting it and I think I remember my mom going, "Nope."
0: Yeah, and then I think it was like Tiger Electronics came in and was their major competitor for those like single-use handhelds.
1: Oh, okay. Cuz I I did have a Tamagotchi mm-hmm. that I murdered repeatedly on accident.
0: Sure.
1: You have no idea how desperate I was to have that thing like live. And I was just so bad at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Sorry, future children. Uh,
1: (laughs) Hey, we've kept Bilbo and Georgie alive, so we're doing pretty good.
0: That's true. Improvements have been made. (laughs) So at this point, Atari was the dominant home gaming system on the market with over 10 million consoles sold. But as we know, with great success comes great responsibility, and Atari wasn't quite ready for it. Atari's main competition in the hardware market emerged from ColecoVision. Coleco had a license from Nintendo to develop a version of the smash hit arcade game Donkey Kong from 1981, Ooh. which was bundled with every ColecoVision console. And they managed to gain about 17% of the hardware market in 1982 compared to Atari's 58%. So they're coming up short, but they are in th- they're, that's a big chunk for competition.
1: They're trying. Yeah. Really trying.
0: Amid competition from both new consoles and game developers, a number of poor decisions from Atari management affected the company and the industry as a whole, most notably extreme investments into licensed games for the 2600, including Pac-Man and E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Pac-Man did become the system's largest selling game with over 7.9 million copies sold by 1983, but its poor quality conversion eroded consumer confidence on the console. E.T., however, (laughs) was rushed to market in time for the holiday shipping season as it was developed in just six weeks.
1: That doesn't seem like enough time.
0: Nope, that's crunch. That is big crunch as the industry call it, Uh, (laughs) and was harshly reviewed by critics and consumers alike, becoming a huge commercial failure. Ouch. (sighs) Yeah, over 4 million games were manufactured because E.T. was popular, Mm -hmm. and only 1.5 million of them sold. Ouch. Yeah, these two games, along with a lot of third-party bundles that were more quantity over quality, were factors in ending Atari's relevance in the console market. Warner Communication reported weaker results than expected in December of 1982 to its st- to its shareholders, having expected a 50% year-to-year growth, but only obtaining 10 to 15 due to Ouch. declining sales in Atari and, of course, the increase in competition around that time.
1: Jeez. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's way missing the mark. Ow. <laughs> And Atari did not go down quietly. Investors began pulling funds out of video games, beginning a cascade of disastrous effects known as the video game crash of 1983. Ooh. Yeah, we might have to cover that in a future one.
1: Wow, it had its own, like, label.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because video games disappeared for a long time after that.
1: Ouch. So
0: many of the third-party developers formed prior to 1983, ended up closing, and Mattel and Coleco left the video game market by 1985. Wow. Now, for a little fun fact, in what was long considered an urban legend, in September of 1983, Atari sent 14 truckloads of unsold Atari 2600 cartridges and other equipment to a landfill in the New Mexico desert. This became known as the Atari video game burial site, claiming the burial contained millions of unsold cartridges. The site was excavated in 2014, confirming reports from former Atari executives that only about 700,000 cartridges were actually buried. But still, there's a video game burial site in the middle of a desert.
1: That's ridiculous.
0: And not only that, it did include just a massive amount of E.T. the extraterrestrial.
1: I remember when this got dug up yeah like i re- i remember seeing stuff about like video games in the desert and being like what is happening it was,
0: it was actually a really big deal <laughs> like that was like one of those urban legends that everyone was like there's no way they actually did that and then they <laughs> went oh man they actually did that and it was just equally <laughs> hilarious that that pit was like 70 percent et the <laughs> extraterrestrial
1: well i mean what else were they gonna do with the- all of those unsold copies of it jeez yeah. <laughs>
0: At this point, Atari started essentially hemorrhaging losses, reporting five hundred and thirty-six million in loss for nineteen eighty-three, which is like, ouch, <laughs> that's like five times as much as they invested into the console. <laughs> ouch. Yeah, really bad. Uh, and then they continued to lose money into nineteen eighty-four with another four hundred and twenty-five million loss reported in the second quarter. Warner Communications sold Atari's home division to former Commodore CEO Jack Tr- Tramiel in 1984, and in 1986 the new Atari Corporation under Tramiel released the at a lower cost version of the 2600 and a backward p- compatible Atari 7800. Huh. But it was really Nintendo that led the recovery of the industry with its 1985 launch of the Nintendo Entertainment System, which I believe we did a, a thing on. If it wasn't Nintendo Entertainment System, it was Mario, which very much coincides with the release.
1: We definitely did Mario. I don't think we did the NES.
0: Yeah. I think I may have like brought up the NES at that point as well.
1: Yep. yep. We have the little baby version.
0: We have a Super Nintendo baby version.
1: Uh, they're not the same
0: thing. They're not the same thing. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So the, the NES and then the SNES came, uh, came a few years later.
1: I don't know these things.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, it's very hard to say Tramiel's name because it's literally just one letter flip away from being Tamriel. I know. And we are talking about video games. So, right, yep. For those who don't know, that is a Skyrim reference. But if you don't know that that's a Skyrim res- reference, where have you been? They've re released that game 10 times that's in the last a- 10 years.
1: That is. Like nine times too many.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna get hate mail for that one. Oh yeah, so many I, people don't agree.
1: I'm just gonna throw it out there. I've never played Skyrim, so clearly but I you, don't know what but I'm. But you have about.
0: played Elder Scrolls online. That is
1: true. I do enjoy Elder Scrolls. So,
0: yep. Atari released and redesigned a model of the 2600 in 1990 in 1986. Supported by an ad campaign touting a price of under 50 bucks. Hey! And given the large library of cartridges and low price point of the 2600, uh, it continued to sell into the late 1980s. All right. Production of the Atari 2600 ended on January 1st of 1992, with an estimated 30 million units sold across its lifetime. All right. The Atari 2600's legacy has remained, with Atari being synonymous for the console in the mainstream media and for video games in general in the late 1970s and early 1980s. The Atari 2600 was inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame at The Strong in Rochester, New York in 2007. In 2009, the Atari 2600 was named the number two console of all time by IGN, which cited its remarkable role behind both the first video game boom and the video game crash of 1983, (laughs) and called it the console that our entire industry was built upon.
1: I mean, they're not wrong.
0: And I think I know this off the top of my head. I'd be very surprised. But the first video game console, like the number one of all time, is what, Kylie? Kylie? The PlayStation 2. Why 2? Because it had one of the longest lifespans of any console before a new one came out. It bridged a huge gap between when people weren't producing new consoles. Hmm. The PlayStation 2 lasted like half of the lifespan of the PlayStation 3, and the PlayStation 3 was a commercial failure. So (laughs) the PlayStation 2 almost made it to PlayStation 4 before they stopped supporting PS2 discs, and it's the... The most widely sold, sold console of all time, I'm pretty sure.
1: Okay, then. All right, we had a PlayStation Two. That was our very first like non handheld gaming thing, and I think I was a senior in high school. We got
0: most people had a PlayStation <laughs> Two. It was very applicable for a long time.
1: I played like I I played Garage Band on it, and that was it.
0: Not Garage Band. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Like, Garage Band is a recording thing like we're recording with Ableton. <laughs>
1: what was the not guitar hero version? Rock Band? Rock band. That's yep. it. No, we had guitar hero, had guitar we hero. didn't have band. I'm so confused. <laughs> Let's right. just wrap this puppy up.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh I mean that's easy to wrap up because we're done. Woohoo! <laughs> okay. Now on to the call to action. Come find us at www.halfwitpodcast.com Listen yeah. to this show and our other show. And find merch and yeah. some contact info and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it's all there. It's all your there. one-stop shop for if you, us.
0: If you have any recommendations as to what we should do with the website, let us know.
1: Yeah, I think there's a, is there something on the website or is it just on the Twitter?
0: Oh, oh no, The what you're talking about, the pinned tweet oh, on our Twitter yeah, yeah. is a form to go suggest topics. If yes. you want to let us know what you want to hear about and we'll research it and put it into the calendar for when it's supposed to come out.
1: Yes, yes. I think that we, was what I was thinking of.
0: I think we have one coming up. Yeah, like, I
1: think in December.
0: Okay. Yep. Yep. So there, there is a listener suggestion that is coming up. Yep. Um, what else do we do normally? I mean, you know, Twitter and Facebook at Halfwit History. Um, already plugged the website. You can reach out to us at halfwitpod at gmail.com. Yep. And that's pretty much it.
1: We got to thank the fishermen.
0: Yeah. Let's thank the fishermen for the use of the theme song, Another Day. And you can Woo. find a link to their show notes down. You can find a link to their <laughs> SoundCloud down in our show notes. Other way around.
1: <laughs> I'd like to find a link to the show notes.
0: Yeah, find a link to the show notes on their SoundCloud.
1: <laughs> oh, we're going to invert it. There we go. There we go.
0: Uh, on to fun facts? Fun facts. Awesome. What do you got, Kylie.
1: So for my fun fact, we're going to go to September 6th of 1916. The first true supermarket, the Piggly Wiggly, <laughs> was opened by Clarence Saunders in Memphis, Tennessee. What
0: a name.
1: The Piggly Wiggly. I guess it
0: makes sense because, you know, the rhyme, <laughs> Little Piggy went to the market to call the very first supermarket the Piggly Wiggly.
1: That's pretty funny, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: yeah, I like it. Um And mine is going to be another September 11th one. Uh, September 11th of 1792, the French blue gem, later the Hope Diamond, is stolen with the French crown jewels from the royal storehouse in Paris during the Reign of Terror.
1: uh (laughs) I have a feeling
0: Kylie will someday do a story on the Reign of Terror. That would have to
1: be like an 18 part topic.
0: Oh boy. We could do a multi-parter at some point.
1: I mean, we could. Do you really want to listen to me talk about French history for
0: listen multiple when, hours? At the point where we split the episode is the point where I'm taking a break. So,
1: mm, fair.
0: <laughs> Anyways, that's been our show. We hope you enjoyed listening, and as always, I've been your half wit,
1: and I'm your historian,
0: and we hope you listen next week.
1: Bye. <laughs>